morning, Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Douglas Simpoga in Washington. Today is Monday, August 1st, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Voters in Senegal cast their ballots for legislative elections that will determine who has more power in the country's parliament just ahead of elections in 2024. The situation is confusing, I should say, because when the chairman of the Grovers came to Guinea, the day he was living, the only thing he told me is that the junta is not on the timeline. Is Guinea's military junta ready to accept the two-year transition process as opposed to its original plan of three years? We're using a dating method that's based on what are called cosmogenic nuclides. So it's a different dating method that has been used here before. This method works by dating rocks that we find around the fossils. We're not dating the fossils directly. We're dating the rocks that they're found in. French President Emmanuel Macron last week wrapped up his three-country African tour in Guinea-Bissau, where he pledged financial and military support for allies in West and Central Africa. Those stories and more coming up on Daybreak Africa. South Sudan President Salva Kiir has briefed his counterpart, Ugandan President Yoweri Museveni, on the extension of South Sudan's transitional government of national unity. It has been nearly four years since Kerr and first Vice President Riyak Machar signed the revitalized peace agreement in 2018, but its implementation has been bumpy. Last week, the two agreed to extend the process. President Kiir was in Kampala over the weekend to brief President Museveni, one of the guarantors of the peace agreement. Presidential spokesperson Ateni Wek Ateng tells VOA's James Barty, President Key explained to President Yoweri Museveni the extension is necessary because certain key provisions of the agreement have not yet been met. President Key saw the meeting with his counterpart Yoweri Kaguto Museveni to brief them about the roadmap that the stakeholders in the revitalized peace agreement or a solution of a conflict has arrived at. And that roadmap would stipulate the extensions. That after the end of the uh, transitional period, which is happening in the next six months, there has to be extension. Simply because the election cannot take place, even that the process that preceded the election had not been uh, done, like the census and uh, constitutional making process. Even the UNAFI forces have not yet been graduated. So there are a number of things that should have preceded the election. By not happening, and the transition is ending, then there has to be a way forward. And that way forward is found in the, in the road map. Uganda is one of the two guarantor countries of your peace process. So how did President Museveni receive that proposal for the extension? Did he welcome it? Yeah, he welcome it. As you see, the transition is ending. If there is no election, then there will be no other way of uh, government continuing as legitimate unless there has been a cause of action that is taken either to extend. It's been four years since the uh, revitalized peace agreement was reached. Who is to be blamed now for this uh, delay in fulfilling the key provisions of the agreement, of the implementation? Because you and I, we spoke many times on this issue. Although uh, blaming or not blaming is not the right thing to do, 
we can just say this is a grievance that has not been supported enough, particularly on financial aspect of it. You know, South Sudan is grappling with uh, the economic situation. That is growing day in, day out. And that the majority of uh, what is required for the agreement to have come to full implementation so it requires money, particularly the integration of forces. And uh, the grantors, particularly the countries that are powerful in the world, who could have actually uh, injected some money into it, have not done their part. In the state, even some of them are withdrawing funds on the mechanism. But I don't think that is fair to blame the international supporters for lack of financing of the agreement. I think South Sudanese, particularly the leadership, both the president and the deputy president, you have to do your part first before the international guarantors come in to give money. So I don't think it's fair to blame them. Probably should blame you. No, no, no. First of all, the leaders, His Excellency the President and His Excellency the First Vice President, have done their best. So this is the transition that has been long, completely to finish three years without any skirmishes. If there are skirmishes, they are controllable. And so that demonstrates the willingness of the party, particularly the major parties, in not taking back the country to war. And that should have appealed to very much to the international community to do its part so that peace is maintained once and for all. Atenye is a spokesperson for South Sudan President Silvakir. He was speaking from Juba with my colleague James Barty. Voters in Senegal cast their ballots for heated legislative elections on Sunday. The polls will determine who has more power in the country's parliament just ahead of elections in 2024. Maurice Topane is a senior research analyst for the Institute for Security Services. He cast his vote early in the morning and afterwards he spoke to Rick Shyrock about who is and is not on the ballot and what that means for the country. It should also be noted that we are in the raining season in Senegal. It is currently raining in some areas, particularly in the south of the country, such as the Genshore. Um, it is therefore feared that the turnout will be lower than in the last legislative election, which was around 50 Four percent in 2017. However, the, the election is taking place without major incident expected for the delay that was noted in some polling station that started well after 8 a.m. Who is on the ballot and who almost just as importantly, I think, in these elections, who is not on the ballot? Um, 15 coalition have submitted their candidates, but only at least passed the sponsorship hurdle that was introduced into the Senegalese electoral system in uh, 2018. The other list were invalidated for not respecting the sponsorship. Uh, the two main coalition in the running, the ruling Benobok Yakar coalition and the opposition coalition Yewi Askanwi, which is led by Senegalese opposition leader Usman Sonko. We have to notice that in June, the constitutional court, based on the uh, decision of the Ministry of Interior, rejected the national list of Yewi Askanwi candidates and the list of the ruling Benobok Yakar deputy candidate. Therefore, the main opposition leaders of Yewi Askanwi coalition, such as Usman Sonko, Dejef are not candidate for these legislative election. And this decision that have been taken by the constitutional court exacerbated the political tension and discredited the institution involved in the organization and supervision of these legislative elections, such as the Ministry of Interior and the, the constitutional court. What are Senegalese people voting for today? You know, why are these leg- legislative elections important and what kind of impact could they have on both laws and different kinds 
of policy in the country, as well as the on policy on um, upcoming presidential elections in Senegal. This legislative election represents a new episode in the bitter struggle between the two main coalition since the local election of January 2022. The outcome of the election should determine the balance of power in the run-up to the 2024 presidential election. For the Benobok Yaka ruling coalition, it will be a question of preventing the opposition coalition Yewi Askanwi and Walu Senegal of the former president Ablaywatch, which have formed an electoral alliance from taking away its current majority in the parliament where it has uh, 125 seats out of 165. The aim is to ensure, ensure that the president of the republic has a comfortable majority that would allow him to pursue his policy without major obstacle. For the opposition party, mainly the Yewi Askanwi uh, coalition, it is a question of consolidating the result acquired during the local election, where it made a significant breakthrough in certain large cities such as Dakar, Gajewai, Chess, Rufus, and Ziegenshore. The opposition hopes to rule out any possibility for President Macky Sall to run for a third term. That was Maurice Topane, senior research analyst for the Institute for Security Services. He was speaking to Richie Sharrock from Dakar, Senegal. Is Guinness military junta ready to accept a two-year transition process as opposed to its original plan of three years? Guinea-Bissau President Umar Sisok Mbalo, who is current chair of the Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS, said over the weekend that he was able to persuade Guinea's military junta to reduce his transition timeline to two years. However, a Guinean transitional government spokesperson reportedly said he could not confirm that claim. This comes as Guineans have demonstrated for two straight days to express their displeasure about the transition process. Faya Milimono, leader of the Liberal Bloc Party of Guinea, tells VOS James Barton the claim about the shortening of the timeline remains unclear to Guineans. The situation is confusing, I should say, because when the chairman of ECOVAS came to Guinea, the day he was leaving, the only thing he said is that the junta is not categoric on the timeline. Three years, two years. The only thing they insisted on is the agenda. The last statement of the chairman in the press conference with uh, the French president, he says that he was able to convince the junta to reduce timeline to two years instead of three years. After that, there was a statement from a minister in charge of the territorial administration contradicting what the chairman of the ECOVA has said. So it is still confusing. We know that they talk about it, but so far we don't know what the truth is. But could it be that maybe the president of uh, Guinea-Bissau, who is the ECOWAS point person, that perhaps he is telling the truth? Maybe the military junta in Kunakri is trying to soften its position. I think if that was the case, we would have here from uh, the junta itself. But what we can say at this time is during the journey of uh, the chairman here in Kunakri and during the journey of uh, the mediator 
the former president of Benin in Guinea, we can assume that they have talked about the deadline. But what is exactly the outcome of those conversations, it is hard to say what is the truth at this time. I know you were once a member of the National Front for the Defense of the Constitution, the FNDC. What can you tell us about these protests that have been taking place in Conakry to the point that uh, some people were shot dead? What is going on? According to the Guinean law, it is the right for all Guineans to exercise any demonstration. But if anyone wants to exercise that right, you should inform the authorities and give them the details about your demonstration. The demonstration was not authorized. And based on the Guinean law, that is not the final. When the authorities take that kind of decisions, you can attack that in front of the court. But that is what SNDC didn't do. They went straight to do the demonstration, even though were denied to do so. And the reason the junta or the government has stated is that there is a risk of violence. Exactly that is what happened on the social network. Those demonstrations were very violent. That's why we are talking about the four people who were killed. Many people, including the police officers, were injured. And also a lot of goods were destroyed and uh, they have started arresting some of the leaders of uh, SNDC. The coordinator of SNDC has been arrested and uh, the last minute information we were told that uh, the political parties like uh, EFDG, LPG and EFA, their members couldn't access their headquarters today. We thank you so much again. It's always nice to talk with you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Fayo Milimono is leader of the Liberal Bloc Party of Guinea. He was speaking from the capital, Conakry, with my colleague, James Barty. President Emmanuel Macron last week wrapped up his three-country Africa tour in Guinea-Bissau. During his trip, he pledged financial support for education and economic development and military backing to fight extremism in West and Central Africa. Macron met on Thursday with Guinea-Bissau President Umar Sissoko Mbalo, who recently became the chair of the West African Economic Bloc ECOWAS. Several West African countries have faced security threats stepped up extremist attacks and military coups over the past two years. Kimasa Kamara is a senior advisor for Africa at the United States Institute of Peace. He tells VOA's Carl Van Damme, since Macron became president in 2017, one of his main goals has been to change the way Africans view France and the way France conducts business with African countries. He has been trying to diversify partnerships, but also change the quality of the partnership that uh, France has been having uh, with African states. And so I believe that this was another trip 
to demonstrate that France wants to have a win-win partnership with African countries, that France respects African leaders, and that uh, France still has some contributions to make to the development of the continent. Macron pledged funding for education and economic development and also money for military backing to fight extremism. He mentioned extremism in the Sahel as being a big problem. Why is he doing this now? So I don't think that this is a, a, a huge change from what France has, has done in the past when it comes to, to funding. But France is known for uh, public aid to uh, African states. And in French, it's called uh, aide publique au développement. And Ed Publico Development has been sort of a budgetary support to African countries to help them survive, basically. And what France is doing, or the financial contributions that, that France is, is making right now, is showing that France wants to have a targeted support to, to African countries and that France wants to be responsive to the actual needs on the ground. Extremism is definitely one of the, the, the biggest and the more complex a challenge that uh, West African countries are, are facing, and education is also is also a big one. And again, I believe that it's a part of of France's uh, wish to to become relevant, to become targeted in its support, and to be perceived as a credible partner who is hearing the, the needs on the ground. What about Russia? Do you think it has anything to do with the timing of this trip with, you know, what's going on with Russia and how they're trying to exert their influence with several African countries? Yeah, so, you know, so I think there have been a, a lot of uh, analysis and speculations about Lavrov's trip to, to Africa and the way France, the United States and, and other uh, major international players would, would react in the face of, of this trip. I think it's just a trip, right? Russia has been making moves in Africa for, for decades, and, and the same has been the case for, for China. I think that, um, you know, not even wanting to congratulate the French president, but just to say that the right approach is really to, to hear what African uh, authorities, what the states, what the governments need and what they expect from their international partners is really the way to become credible, relevant, and seen on, a, on the continent, and, and more importantly, if effective. That was Kamil Sikamara, a senior advisor on Africa at the U.S. Institute of Peace. He was speaking with my colleague, Carl Van Dam. A new study on the origins of mankind shows that fossils of early human ancestors found in a South African cave decades ago are a million years older than previously thought. The fossils from Sackfontein caves, including an almost complete skull of a cavewoman, found the fossils date back 3.4 million to 3.6 million years. Daryl Granger is the author of the study, published recently in the peer-reviewed journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. He tells my colleague Caravan Dam his team examined radioactive decay in rocks buried with the fossils. We're using a dating method that's based on what are called cosmogenic nuclides. So it's a different dating method that has been used here before. This method works by dating rocks that we find around the fossils. So we're not dating the fossils directly. We're dating the rocks that they're found in. And these rocks, when they're at the ground surface, they're exposed to cosmic rays coming in from space. 
and these cause nuclear reactions in there and make radioactive particles. When the quartz is washed into the cave or falls into the cave along with the bones, the cosmogenic nuclides decay away over time. And so we can use, we can measure how much is left in the rocks and figure out when they fell into the cave. So it's an, a dating method that we've used before at different places and deeper at Sturkfontein, but it's a new application. The rocks are kind of like the same thing as where the team found the fossils. Right, so uh, Sturkfontein is a cave. And when the cave was open, it was filled in with rocks that would fall into the entrance. Sometimes rocks would fall off the ceiling and the walls. And at the same time, there are animals uh, and bones that are falling into that entrance as well. And they fell down a pit and then made what's called a talus cone, sloping down away from the surface. And so the bones are found in the middle of all these gravel and boulders that have been cemented together. It's almost like concrete. So to find the fossils, you've got to break apart these rocks and then find the bones in between. Break apart the rocks very carefully, I, I would yes. say. Yes, Well, in the old days, they were using dynamite. Um, they were mining this place for lime and finding fossils as they, as they blew it up to extract the lime. It's time now for Daybreak Africa Sports, and here is Samson O'Malley in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good morning to you, Samson. Good Monday morning to you too, Douglas. We begin the sports in Birmingham, where the 22nd Kamoa Games is taking place. South Africa swimming star Charlie Claus won his 18th Kamoa Games medal on Sunday to equal the all-time record after taking silver in the men's 200 meters butterfly. The 30-year-old came to Birmingham with 17 medals across three games and has now pulled level with shooters Michael Galt and Phil Adams. Leclerc, who pulled out of the World Championships in Budapest in June, was the pre-race favorite to retain his title at the Sandwell Aquatic Center. Staying with the Commonwealth Games, weightlifter Rafiatu Lawal won Team Nigeria's second gold medal in the women's 59 kilograms category of the ongoing Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. On Sunday, Lawal clinched gold by lifting a combined total lift of 206 kilograms, 110 kilograms in snatch, and 116 kilograms in clean and jack to win the women's 59 kilograms weightlifting event and also set a new Commonwealth Games record. The Nigerian successfully lifted 90 kilograms in her first attempt, setting the Commonwealth Games record and went right on top of the standings in snatch. Meanwhile, Nigerian men's table tennis team has advanced to the semifinals of the event at the ongoing 2022 Commonwealth Games after a sluggish start at the NEC Hall 3 on Sunday. An inspired Nigerian side led by Quadri Aruna bounced back to defeat Malaysia 3-2. Nigeria thirds joined Singapore, who defeated Canada in the semis, which will hold on Monday. Elsewhere, a pair of Namibian gymnasts are set to miss the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham because of a row at home over who runs their sport. Emiela Ekanjo and Sanya Stewart are being prevented by the International Gymnastics Federation from taking part at Birmingham 2022 as they do not have licenses necessary to compete in the Games. The situation stems back to a dispute more than three years ago over who is the legally recognized governing body for gymnastics in Namibia. And now to athletics. After a successful and exciting World Athletics Championships 2022 in Eugene, Oregon, last month, the focus now switches to the rising superstars as the World Athletics Under-20 Championships 
Cali 2022 in Colombia gets on the way on Monday, just one year after the last edition in Nairobi, Kenya. Team Kenya will go into the championships as defending champions after winning 16 medals in the last edition. A total of 1,517 athletes and 852 officials from 141 countries will be in the Sultana del Val for the championships. In football news, the Confederation of African Football has launched a club licensing online platform. The landmark CAF project was presented to the member associations during the CAF club licensing seminar in Cairo, Egypt. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, Douglas, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a very good Monday. And that's it for this Monday, August 1st edition of Daybreak Africa. With, on behalf of the entire Daybreak Africa 